Our Father in heaven, we thank you again that you've granted us our time to assemble here this day. It is so good to be able to come together, believers, followers, those who humbly ask, please, that you would direct our lives and our steps in every way. We're about to read from your holy word to gather a message for us to not only draw closer to you, but also to understand more deeply what it means to be your child. May all we express this day, please, be in accordance with your will. May all that we come to understand cause us to not only obey, but to cherish our relationship with you. We are always moved by the ways that your word touches our lives and those around us. We're attentive to the answer to our prayers, to the protection that you give us every day, for the rich and full lives that we live. But most of all, Almighty Father, we want your word to draw us not only closer to you, but to fulfill our purpose, the purpose you have for us in each of our lives. Guide us, please, now in our study. Strengthen us in a way that only your grace and mercy can do. And direct us in a way that not only brings honor to your name, but fulfills our purpose as servants of your dear son, Jesus, our Redeemer. It's in his name we humbly pray. Amen. Amen. Start this off to see if it works this morning. There we go. Nope. I got the songs. How do I want that place? There we go. Jesus made a lot of offers when he was here on earth. He did this, of course, to not only encourage everyone, but to let people realize how good and important it is to understand who he is. You know, in uh, John chapter 4, at the well, Jacob's, he offered a lady there who was gathering water, living water. He said, the living water is such that you'll never thirst again. Of course, she said, I want some of that, so I've got to come to this well every day and draw water. A little later on in discussion, in John chapter 6, there was a, those who were teachers of the law declaring that they had Moses and manna from heaven to provide them. Who are you? Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. And then he went on to tell them in verse 53, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no life in you. For my flesh is truly that to be eaten, my blood is that to be drank. And of course, if you want everlasting life, he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now that offer might have been a tough one for any of us to accept. Of course, Jesus is identifying the fact that by his sacrifice and resurrection, we remember every first day of the week from there on what it is he has done for all mankind. A little bit later in John chapter 8, there was a woman caught in adultery. Of course, the intention here, I think, was to discredit people regarding it, make use of her as an example of how to trick Jesus. But after they got through accusing her and Jesus had confronted those who were accusers, she, he asked her, where are their accusers? There are none. So he gave her another offer. Go and sin no more. The punishment for adultery was death. He gave her another chance. He was the author and the definer of those that would receive another chance. And then eventually, in John chapter 14, as he was preparing to leave his place here on earth and return to heaven, he told his closest followers, I'm going back to my father. My father has a place for you filled with many rooms. Some translations say there are mansions in the sky for you. 
And of course, they were anxious about that. They said, well, he said, I'm going to do that because if I go and prepare a place for you, that means I'm coming back to get you, that you may be where I am. And all he asked them to do in the offer was for that mansion, believe that I am the Son of God, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Another wonderful offer. Today I want to talk about this particular scripture here, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle, I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This offer that Jesus made, if you take my yoke and place it upon you, you will find rest for your souls, is a culmination of all the offers that Jesus made throughout his earthly journey. For if those who would take this offer of taking the yoke of Jesus upon them would do so, they will find rest for their souls. So today, let's do this. Let's take a look at some scriptures that are very familiar to us, but also try to examine more closely what it means to be able to find rest for our souls. Many of us know what it means to find rest for the body. Some of us are very good at doing it. We know how to lay down and go to sleep. Sleep well and rise when needed. But how do you find rest for the soul? And what is the soul of a man or woman? That why does it need rest? On the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now, this becomes a little bit of a challenge scripture for us here. This is why. Let me read these to you. Do you not know, Isaiah 40, 28, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding no one can fathom. Scripture tells us in Genesis 2 that after creation, God rested. Scripture here tells us that God never grows tired or weary. Need to search a little deeper on what that means regarding it. Psalm 139 says this, verses 8 through 10. Where can I go from the Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths or the grave, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. There is no escaping God's presence. He is everywhere. And as verse 1 says, he never tires. The first reading, I mean. Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. We can rest in this understanding from God, regarding God's word. He is everywhere, omnipresent. He is all-powerful, omnipotent. And of course, he is all-knowing. He knows all things. That alone should make us rest comfortably if we believe in him. Because that means no matter what happens in our life or what happens around us, there's no change in the fact that he is in control of all things, including my life and your life. We also know that from John 4, 24, that God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So now we have this part defined. We have a God who is a spirit. He's not of human nature or flesh. We have a God who is everywhere, knows all things, and of course, does not grow weary. And yet, he has an offer to rest our inner being, our souls. <laughs> now, God did take on human form. That's why Jesus made the offer when he said, put this yoke upon me. He's going to explain that to him later as he, of course, talks about his life journey. 
Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now, when Jesus made the decision with God, the Father's will, and of course, the Holy Spirit working with him to come to earth, he didn't consider himself to be equal to God as something that he should exploit or take advantage of. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and of course, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and came obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So now God, who is a spirit, took on human form. We'll see later he did this for the sake of understanding what it means to endure all temptation. We saw it in our reading earlier in Hebrews chapter 4. Christ was tempted in all ways, yet he did not sin. So we'll understand now a little bit about what it means to gather rest for our souls. Because sometimes sin gets in our lives. And sometimes it's difficult to find, quote, rest for our souls. And so when we go to him, which we'll find later, Jesus has the answers. Let's look a little more closely at this understanding of spirit and soul. I think it's important for us to visit these scriptures because we need to more deeply consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In the first letter to the church at Thessalonica, the inspired Paul, as he closes the letter, wrote this regarding how you should handle your life. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. The scripture here says we have a soul, we have a spirit, we have a body. Hebrews 4.12, which we read earlier this, also says the same thing. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It can pierce even to the division of the soul and the spirit. In other words, the word of God can describe to us what it means by soul and what it means by spirit. So let's take a little closer look at God's word. Let's try to identify what it means to have a soul or to have a spirit. And of course, in our understanding, gather closer to God as well. But first, let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk about how God did it. God created mankind in his own image. Now this is important. We saw where God is a spirit. God made us in his own image. Now when he made us, we often think about the fact of who I, what I look like, because this is the realm we live in. Flesh, blood, body, appearance. Many might say he acts just like his father. She acts just like his, her mother. All right. That could be good or that can be bad. In any sense, we sometimes attribute the actions or conduct of people by appearances. Or maybe they even look like their father now as they get older, look like their mother as they age as well. All right? And remind us of it. But he said, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils, quote, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, there was shape and form to man, to Adam. But he didn't move or do anything until God breathed the breath of life into that being. So now we find two things. We're made of flesh and bone from the dust of the ground. And we have a breath of life within each one of us. And you can say, yeah, I can attribute that because I'm sitting right here. or I'm standing here and I'm breathing right now. I have life. Yeah. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. The Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. So now he has created a man and a woman, made of flesh and bones, and of course, the breath of life, a spirit or soul within. 
And of course, he's made them such that they can, quote, reproduce. So they could be man and woman together. Now we know from James 4.26, it's talking about in James chapter 4 what it means to have faith without deeds and show my faith by my deeds. But he also makes this statement. The body without the spirit is dead. So now we know that true life has to do with something on the inside. What you see before you today, or what you look at yourself in your hands and arms, this is going right back to where it came from, the dust of the ground. But there is a part of you, a part of me, that was especially made by God for a purpose. Let's talk about the spirit of a man. And this comes from scripture as well in understanding. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The spirit of a person has to do with understanding from this scripture. It goes on in the Corinthian letter to talk about the fact that we understand God because our spirit is in tune with God's spirit. And of course, we'll discover that why that's like that in a few minutes. So, the spirit of man is that which has reasoning or understanding. Job 12, 32, 8 says this, but it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives him understanding. So the spirit that dwells within us helps us to understand, make reasons, make decisions. And I'm talking in this sense, of course, in our relationship to God, all right, and understanding as well. Now, we may have parents that guide us, grandparents, others who teach us, don't touch the hot stove, don't do this, don't lie, don't cheat, you know, all the things we don't want you to do, be honest. All these things can be told, but the reason it takes place is our spirit within us that God has given to each one of us. Zechariah 12:1, when the prophet there was getting ready to give a message from God, he described God this way. The Lord, who stretches out the heavens, who keeps the foundation of the earth in his place, and who forms the spirit of man within him. So when God made me, when God made you, by the reproductive process, however our parents were, we took shape in human form. But the spirit that dwells within each one of us was created by God. And even more amazing with that, in Psalm 139, he says that God knew all about you and me before any of us was ever made. And that is the case with every human being he created. With that in mind, I think we can uh, clearly say that there is a God beyond our understanding, beyond who we can say that we are equal to. But of course, we would bring our attention to him. So now we have this aspect of it. We have a body, we have a spirit. How about the soul? In John 12, 27, this is Jesus talking. My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for the very reason I came to this hour. Jesus expressed what he was feeling inside. He's sorrowful. He knows what's approaching. And on top of that, all those that he's been working with, they're trying to teach, they're trying to turn people around, there hasn't been a whole lot of positive response. Is it all worth it? Am I really going to have to die on a cross for this group of people? Or for these people that I have before me? Matthew 26, 36 through 38 again. Jesus went to the disciples to the place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. 
took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Sorrowful, troubled, I use the word anxious, uncertain. So the soul might be identified as something has to do with the, what they call the seat of emotions. What does it mean to love someone? What does it mean to be kind to someone? What does it mean to care about someone? Sometimes those take us into action to do things for people, but what is the feeling itself? What brings tears to our eyes with those that we have loved that die? It's because we want them back. Something inside of us, memories, thoughts, we don't want them to leave. The soul is often identified as that part of our being that has to do with our emotions. Now, Ezekiel also says the soul that sins will die. So sin can be part of a soul's action as well. How can it be through feelings? Well, Romans chapter 1, Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, talks about sins such as jealousy, envy, hatred, conspiracy, evil thoughts. Those are the things that might also take place in the soul of an individual. That is identified as sin, but they are still feelings that we have. When someone says, I'm jealous of someone, they say, what do you mean by that? Show it to me. Well, there might be some actions that come from it, but they can't pull the jealousy out of them and say what it is. It's inside their heart, as Jesus talked about, in the heart of a man. So now we have the spirit has knowledge, the soul has feelings. Look at these passages of scripture. Job 7:11. Therefore I will not keep silent. This is Job talking about a situation. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. But we said the soul was the seed of emotions. I'll complain in the bitterness of my soul. So here he uses two emotions, anguish and bitterness. And he identifies them both as residing in the spirit and in the soul. Proverbs 2.10. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. We just said the spirit was the place where we get our knowledge and understanding from. But here it's identified as the soul. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Dividing and asundering what it means. If we look further it tells us there's something about our inner being both identified as soul and spirit, but they're all the same. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says, Hand this man over to Satan, talking about the man who's taken his father's wife, for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. We talk about salvation, we talk about the saving of our what? Our souls. Here it talks about the saving of the spirit of the man. And we're talking about him gathering a better understanding of what he's engaged in. Ezekiel 18, 20, and it also says in verse 4, the soul who sins shall die. So what dies? The spirit, the soul, the soul, the spirit? I think what this tells us here is that the inner being, the inner man, is all one person. And if we really want to define what it is, we might take a look at these particular scriptures here. Romans 7:14 says, For in my inner being I delight in God's law. And the inner being, of course, would be the spirit or soul. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says it the best, I think. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. All creation came from God. No denying it. Pick a spot in the world, pick a culture, pick a race, pick anyone. It all came from God. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit 
in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now we're talking about the hearts. Now we're talking about the soul and the spirit. The heart and the mind are often used interchangeably with the inner person or inner man. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, deep, and high is the love of Christ and to know that that love surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We've got a clear picture of now what it means when Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica about the soul, body, and spirit. There are two parts to us. There is this outer covering, and then there is, quote, what I call the real you, the person who dwells inside. Man spends a lot of time trying to change this part. We have all kinds of means. We have to look for it to stay looking young. Often heard the discussion when we meet with Christ one day, what will we look like? Well, let me take uh, age 20 or something like that rather than age 73, all right? <laughs> but what it talks about that, First John chapter 3 tells us we don't know what we're going to appear like. All we know is, according to Scripture, is we'll be like him, like Christ. So in any event, the important part of the message this morning is we want to find rest for our souls. What does it mean for us to find rest for the soul? Let me read this to you. We'll share together in our reading regarding Psalm 116. I think it gives a great insight into what it means to begin to understand what it takes rest for our soul. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. When people respond to your needs, when you need to call someone or speak to someone, and you get that answer and those words of encouragement, how do you feel? This is what the scripture is talking about. I love the Lord. He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I'll call on him as long as I live. There's no one else we can reach that will give rest for our souls except the one who created our soul or our spirit. Father Almighty. Through Jesus, his son. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Now this one tells me three things. I'm anxious about the fact that this life is going to come to an end. Death is imminent. Could be threatening in war, illness, whatever. The anguish of the grave overcame me. I don't know what the grave holds. I can't go into the grave, check it out, and come back and get myself ready for it. That's not how life works. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Not having the answers to questions gives me distress and sorrow. And I'm sure all of us in here have some answers and questions that we have not received answers for. Right. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. I need your help. All right. This is where we humble ourselves before God, recognizing there are things that are beyond our control. And in so doing, we'll find rest for our soul, our spirit, our inner man. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our Lord is full of compassion. He answers prayer. He knows what it means to receive Encouraging words. He knows how to touch our sensitive button to have us not only respond to his answers, but to draw closer to him. The Lord protects the unweary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Now here's the culmination of the whole phrase, or the whole psalm. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Now this particular passage of scripture, I would encourage you to use during the week. And when it says, return to your rest, my soul, you might want to look yourself in the mirror, 
For the Lord has been good to you. And think about all the ways that he has given your soul rest over your life's journey. So now we've seen a little bit of part about what it means to find rest for our soul. The first part of the verse we need to go back to for a moment because this is essential in understanding Jesus' offer. Come to me, all of you who are weary and hardened or heavy laden or burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What does he mean by that? A yoke is a harness, an instrument used to put on animals. Right, left, forward, back, whatever, to control. But Jesus says, I want you to put my yoke upon you. All right? In other words, I want you to let me lead your life. Romans 13, 14. Put on, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. When you put on the cloth of Jesus or the clothes of Jesus, when you are yoked in Jesus, the sins, the lustful sins of the flesh no longer can take control of you. You're directed by Christ. Ephesians 4 says it as well. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and if you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which is created according to Jesus in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, when God made me and God made you, we came through the process of birth, growing, taking form, taking shape. But the spirit, the soul that dwells within, yearns to return to his creator. That part of our being seeks for answers. And many people in the world today struggle with life's existence because they haven't found a purpose or reason for life. Often we look for it in companionship because we seek out a woman for relationship, a man, a woman seeks a man for relationship, love one another, families, relationship. We seek that. That's the inner being. But he says in this, you're going to be renewed in your mind such that you take on a new self. I like the way it's also recorded in Colossians. Look at this. You've put on the new self who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created you. When we take on Christ, we actually approach our beginning. To me, this means when Christ or when God thought about who you are and who I am, whenever that was, I'm making my way back to that time of conception, spiritually, when I renew myself and obey whom he has sent, Jesus the Redeemer. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in your souls, in your spirit. This is what rest for your soul means. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The person you are that dwells on the inside finds rest when you draw closer to God in his word, in his understanding, in his singing of psalms and sings. We come together to worship. I believe this is at the very core of why worship was so important to God. When his children, those who have been clothed in Christ, those who have taken Jesus' offer of putting on his yoke, of renting into Christ, then he sees creation just the way he wanted it to be. 
We are about as close to eternity and glory as you can ever get when we assemble as body of believers. And when we care for one another, look out for each other, sing together, pray together, and of course in our common faith, make changes in our lives together. Galatians 3, 26, 27 tells how the yoke works, how you get the yoke. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves. You have taken the yoke of Jesus and put it on. When you entered the watery grave of baptism, you agreed to accept Jesus' offer to have rest for your souls for the rest of your life. Here and into eternity. For there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are, quote, all one in Christ Jesus. God's original purpose for me and for you was to take on the yoke of his son and find rest for your souls. So what does this mean for us? What does the resting for my soul do for me? Here's one example. Forgiveness. You know how hard it is when you've done something wrong and it bothers you? Hurt somebody with your words, made some decisions or choices, the circumstances are hard to bear. Lost control of your life in a sense by turning yourself away from God, trying to fix things yourself, all the things you might try to do apart from God. After a while you realize, I can't do this. I need God's help. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. One of the best rests for the soul is the forgiveness that God gives when we confess our faults before him. We let him know we're sorry. We did wrong. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. That's where the light of the resting of the soul hands and where the truth dwells within us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. All of it. So what does it mean to find rest for my soul? When my thoughts have not been pure. When my eyes have seen things I should not have been looking at. When my ears have listened to things I should not have been listening to. When my hands have touched things or someone I should not have touched. I can go to God and ask for forgiveness. I can be forgiven. And I can find rest for my soul again. So the battle between the flesh and the spirit or soul that dwells within us is a real one. We can all attest to it. We all struggle with it. But we can find rest for our souls by Jesus' offer because we have taken on Christ. We have entered into Christ through our baptism. And because of it, we should give thanks to God every day for what it means to have Jesus interceding for us. First John 2, 2 calls him an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ. So when Jesus said, take my yoke upon me and learn of me by meek and gentle. In other words, I'm always going to listen to what you have to say. I don't care how deep or how far the sin or the aggression has taken place in your life. I'm willing to listen. He says I'm going to be at the right hand of the throne of God when he ascends. That's where he is. He's our mediator, interceding for us. Hebrews 4 tells us also that he knows exactly what we're going through when we have fallen to sin. Because I have been tempted just like you were. However, I did not sin. And God said, I did this for the very reason to let you know you can come to me. And you can tell, you, tell me you're sorry. 
what's gone wrong. Forgiveness. Yes, that's how we find rest for our souls. Jesus interceding for it. I think Romans 8.34 says it so well too. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one can condemn us for our sins. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Making reparations, his blood cleansing us, healing us continually. One more before we close this morning. Preach, brother. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. All right? Sometimes hard to grasp. Jesus promised it to them when he got ready to leave them, John chapter 14, and of course in John 15. <clears throat> I'm going to ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because he's going to live in you and he will be in you. When we entered the watery grave of baptism <clears throat> and came up out of that grave and put on the yoke of Jesus, God gave us of his Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. And because of that, we now have God dwelling within us. We can rest in the confidence knowing that when th then temptation comes or difficulties are challenged, <clears throat> God understands and he's there with us continually. 1 John 3, verse 24. I'll ask the Father to give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. This is back in, in the, uh, um, John, the book of John. The world cannot escape him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. First John tells about the fact that the world can't recognize him, but you will always recognize him. Why? He lives within us. Think about that for a moment. I house God in the form of the Spirit. Amen. Consider that for a moment, just what that means. To that God present with me continually by taking on the yoke of Jesus. I can rest in that. I can find rest for my soul in that. Ephesians 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In other words, you obeyed it. You accept Jesus' offer. Take the yoke upon you. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Revelation has talked about the seal in the forehead. Sometimes we have seals for documents that verify their authenticity. You have been sealed, those of you who have been baptized into Christ. Your soul, your spirit, the, body of, the part of you that lives right now, has been marked for eternity by the Spirit of God. Think about that for a moment. So no matter what happens, no matter how ugly life might get, that no one can take that away from you. You're the only one that can surrender it. God has given it to you. First Corinthians 2, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put the spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Yes, we're sealed, we're marked. But he gave us a guarantee. We're never going to lose it. It's with us forever. Let me just close here with this part of it. Uh, this part, a little bit uh, more along with it. But Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 talks about the fact that even when we don't know what to ask God for, the spirit that dwells in you and me intercedes for us and explains to God exactly what it is we're feeling. 
Think about that for a moment. Ever had a situation with a son or daughter? Well, tell me why you feel this way. Tell me what's, what's hurting. What's wrong? What's wrong? I don't know how to tell you. I don't know how to say it. I can't express myself. I, I don't. Sometimes you worry about your children because you don't know what's going wrong. What's, on, what's going on in their mind? What's happening? In the spiritual realm with God our Father and Jesus at his right hand, there is no moment in our life where God doesn't understand what we're going through. He never leaves us alone. He knows everything about us. And as such, when we can't get answers here, we can always get an answer there. All right? That's why prayer says that Jesus told him, ask, seek, knock, come to me in prayer. I'll give you an answer. I'll let you find the answer. And of course, Philippians 4, 6, 7, I think describes it really well for us as well. Don't be anxious about anything. Right. Now that's a tough scripture for me. Probably is for you too. Because we do get anxious. But here he tells us how to handle it. Don't you get anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. When the anxiety and the uncertainty and the worry comes, talk to God. With thanksgiving on your heart, give him your prayers and your petitions. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will give you, guard your hearts and your minds, will guard your soul and your spirit in Christ Jesus. Amen. Is it good to have Jesus to give us rest for our souls? Right. It certainly is. So let me sum it up this way for you. We'll close on this part of it as well. In Genesis chapter 6, God said he had got fed up with the world. The creation he had made, he was very discouraged. It said in verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. He is mortal. His days will be 120 years. And so at a certain time, he's going to take life off the face of the earth. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved. God's grieved. His spirit, the spirit of God is grieved that he made man on earth and his heart God's heart was filled with pain think about that for a moment our God he feels pain he gets grieved certainly we're made in his image and his likeness just like we are hurt sorrow feel pain God does as well the Lord said, I'll wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth. Men, animals, creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air. I'm grieved I've made them. Everything that had breath in it has to go, God said. But then, Noah, a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, it says he walked with God. When Jesus made the offer for take his yoke upon us, and find rest for our souls, he was actually offering us an opportunity, quote, walk with God. What does it mean to walk with God? It means then that we are in harmony with God's will. Our souls find rest. Our life has purpose. Our decisions are important. The people we care about, care for. Life begins to get bright when things have become dim. We always have an horizon. We always have a sunrise. We always have a change because we, quote, can walk with God. 
And went on to say that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So there's obedience involved with it as well. But when after he had built the ark, think about this for a moment. God is grieved with mankind. He has everything with breath in it marked for death, except Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And whatever animals God decides to put in that ark. Every day that Noah got up, his sons with him, and worked on that ark, God had one way to rest. Take a look at Noah. The rest of the earth is corrupt. The rest of it isn't worth saving. But God kept looking at Noah. And God's soul, it says, he found rest by observing Noah and his righteousness. So let me ask you this question. When you decide that you're going to take on the yoke of Jesus, when you decide to be baptized, for those of you who are not here, you decide that you want to walk with God, that you want his spirit to dwell in you, that you want to be able to rest in any circumstance or situation to find answers, to communicate with him in prayer, to make life full for you. What a great choice. That offer is open for you today as well. We can baptize you today if you'd like. In addition to that, when God made the promise to Noah after he brought him out and the waters had receded on the earth, it says in verse 20, he built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed a burnt offering on it. This verse says here, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, in his spirit, God the Spirit, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil. Never again will I destroy all living things as I has done. As long as the earth endures, seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Good morning to everyone in the winter season as it approaches. It has never changed since that moment because God found rest for his spirit in an obedient Noah. And I believe God finds rest in our spirit when we obey his will and seek to be the servant that he wants us to be. And finally, he says this. I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah. And this is the sign. It's going to be between you and me and every living creature. This is in verse 12 of chapter 9 of Genesis. I've set my rainbow in the clouds. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant between me and you. Every time that rainbow appears, we should take rest in our souls regarding what God has decided. Because we get to enjoy the earth that God has created. Now, we might talk badly about it sometimes, about how we might abuse it and how rough it is. But it's a place that God has placed me to live in. And I'm going to make it work the best way I can. But every time I see a rainbow after reading this passage of Scripture, I think about God's taking rest in who I am and what the earth is. Because there are those on this earth that are worth making the earth still exist. Those who will be obedient to his will. Those who will take on the yoke of Jesus Christ. Let me close with this offer to all of us this week. As you have opportunity this week to take a moment to rest, find a place to meditate on God's word. Maybe read some of the passages we shared with you today. Whatever it might be, but give thanks to God, the fact that you found what it means to find rest for your souls. 
and share the message with someone. Encourage someone. Let them know as well. And secondly, if you're here today and you have not taken on the yoke, the offer is from, the offer is from Jesus himself. It's not mine. God gave the author. Follow his son and find rest for your souls. Let's pray together.